I want to begin this morning's sermon by saying Merry Christmas. Let's try that again. Merry Christmas. You know, um, there's pretty much a continual challenge as a pastor, and it's this. Every year through Advent, you have to preach between five and six sermons, and only two of the Gospels even mention the birth of Jesus. And so every year, it's one of these prayerful challenges for those of us who have the joy again of explaining the Christmas story. It's the challenge of doing it in such a way that will grab our hearts in a fresh and a new way. And so very prayerfully this morning, I'm going to ask that we would do something unusual, and that is we're going to pray again. I'm going to pray that what I share would touch your heart, but also that your heart would be open. Can we do that together? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for the Christmas season that literally grabs the attention of our entire nation, if not almost all of the entire world. To think again this morning that we can look into this story that is 2,000 years old, I pray that you would make it fresh to us. I'm asking whether we're hearing this story for the first time or the 10,000th time, that our hearts would be open to it by faith and that you would speak to us deeply. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, the title of our sermon series is, What Child Is This? What child is this? And this morning's sermon is going to be from Joseph's perspective. From Joseph's perspective. Joseph is the father of Jesus. Two weeks ago, through the Gospel of Luke, we took a look at Mary's perspective, the mother of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the perspective of Joseph, the father of Jesus. Now, I have a question for those of us sitting here that are married and have children. Here's my question. How many of you tell the stories of your kids exactly the same? None of us. I've known what it's like to sit there and share a story about my kids, maybe even to my children. And my wife is correcting me the whole way through. And whenever you're having that done, you always want to stop and say, well, you tell it then. So then she'll start to tell it. And you know what happens? As she starts to tell it, I begin to correct her all the way through the telling of the story. You know, the amazing thing is that that's how the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Luke are. There's similarities, but there's also differences. There's the perspective of a mother, and there is a, the perspective of a father, and they're different. There's similarities. There's points where those two stories touch, but there's also very unique things that's found in both of these stories. The Gospel of Luke has Mary rejoicing. The Gospel of Matthew, where we're getting ready to read, is very sobering, it's deep, 
It grabs you by the throat emotionally if you read the story properly. And instead of there being emotional response of rejoicing and joy, it's thoughtful, it's deep, and it's this incredible call to look at Jesus again and determine, do I even believe? That's the Gospel of Matthew. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to read the story again in its entirety. We're going to put the story up on the screen, and I'm going to ask that you would read it out loud with me as we read it together. Are we ready? Are we ready? Let's read it again. Jesus accepts Jesus as his son. I mean, Joseph (laughs) accepts Jesus as his son. Let's read. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. What a story. It's a very different story than Luke's perspective through the eyes of Mary. And when you look at it, you have to understand that the Newer Testament is written in such a way where by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are called to emotionally put yourself into the story. This is not armchair reading. This is the type of reading the Gospels are written in such a way where the Gospel writer is hoping that you will dress the part. You will emotionally engage in the part. And you will step into Scripture and allow it to deeply, deeply touch you. I want us to do that together as we look at this story. You see... Mary and Joseph are engaged. They live about a week's journey apart. They are engaged to be married, and in strict Jewish custom, Joseph has gone home to his hometown, and he is building a room onto his father's house, and he is preparing a place where Mary can come and be with him. They are engaged. And in ancient Jewish culture, you cannot just call off an engagement. There's literally a writ of divorce that has to take place. So there's Mary, according to the Gospel of Luke. She's at this point, most likely three months pregnant, 
three months and a few weeks. And here she is pregnant. She's rejoicing in what God is doing. And at about that time, we don't know for sure, but about that time, there's Joseph. Joseph has received the news that Mary is with child. And because of that, the Scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, here's what the Scripture says to us. It says this, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Isn't that something? The Scriptures say that Joseph was a righteous man. He knew the law of God. He's a good man. He's a kind man. But he also knows that Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 through 24 says that she must be stoned. It's declared right there. The Old Testament law says what she has done means she must be taken outside of the village and killed. That's what must happen to her. Joseph knows this. He's a man of the law. He lives by the law. But he's also kind. And he does not want to expose her to disgrace. He doesn't want to see this happen to her. And so as a good man, he makes a logical decision. He's going to cut her loose. He will go and get the papers of divorce. He will leave her in her village. And he will return to his village alone. Again, he is a good man. He's a logical man. But I want to say this at the outset of the Christmas story. It's this. Christmas is not about good men who do logical things. That's not what Christmas is about. You don't need Christmas to be a good man and to do logical things. You see, Christmas is way more than that. Christmas is a story that calls us to faith and to trust in the plan of God. That although being good and logical may be good things, they are not enough. The Christmas story stands in front of us and calls us to a much deeper thing in God. The story does this. Now what's amazing is that if we were to read on as we already have in the story, you've got Joseph who's made this decision. He's going to cut Mary loose. He will do it as quietly as he can and he will definitely not bring her to his village. He will leave her a week away. And yet, in the midst of that plan, God speaks. God speaks to a good man, to a logical man. And God tells him to do something incredibly illogical. God in a dream through the messenger, through the angel, and Matthew chapter 1 verse 20 says this, Joseph Son of David, do not be afraid. The same thing that the angel Gabriel had said to Mary 
the angel now says in a dream to Joseph, Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Wow. Don't be afraid. If you're a good man and you're a logical man and God tells you to take her home, you have every reason in the world to be afraid. Because you remember there's this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 22. And in that verse, it says that you and Mary will be taken outside the village and stoned to death. And here is Joseph, and he's already got his plan in place. This is how he's going to live his life. This is the direction that he's going to go in. He was engaged, but she's pregnant. He's going to cut her loose as quietly as he can. He will go back to his village. He will try to live off the radar for as long as he can. And yet in the middle of that, God says, Joseph, I'm going to call you to do something that's totally illogical. You should not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife. And here's why. What is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. What has happened in her womb is of the Holy Spirit. And the next verse literally blows my mind. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. It literally blows my mind. Here's what it says. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home. And what are the next three words? As his wife. Wow. Stunning. Joseph gets up. And what he has come to believe, he takes action on. And here's what you need to know. This is so fascinating biblically. Is that Joseph never says a word anywhere in Scripture. Never. He is a man where words are completely overcome by action. You see, Joseph's perspective of the Christian story warns us of this, that it's not about saying what we believe, it's about acting on what we believe. It's one thing to look into that beautiful manger and say, I believe, I believe, but Joseph never says a word. He's a man of action, and I love that. You see, with Joseph, action speaks louder than words. And there's an incredible sense in the original language where when Joseph wakes up, when he shakes himself free from this dream where the angel speaks to him and says, Joseph, do the illogical thing. Take her home. And the Bible says he wakes up, he sh kind of shakes sleep off, he rubs the crusties out of his eyes, and he walks a week. He travels a week. And he goes to do what the angel told him to do. What's incredible is, while he's walking that week-long trek, can you imagine what's going through his mind? 
Just hours before, his plan was to take that week-long walk to go into her village to meet with her and sit down with her and say, Mary, you know what? You're pregnant. I don't want to see you stoned to death. I'm just going to slip away quietly. Let's go down. Let's get the rid of, the, of divorce. I'm out. And now because of God, because of God, his action is completely different than what he had planned. And picture this. He's walking, and Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 goes through his mind. She will give birth to a son. And you, Joseph, you're to call him Jesus because he will save people from their sin. Joseph, you are to call him Jesus. That word in the Greek language that is the same word as Joshua that word Joshua means God delivers, God saves. And as we began our reading this morning, you would also notice it said Jesus who is the Christ. The word Christ literally means Messiah or anointed one or chosen one. Can you imagine walking that week-long journey and he's going towards Mary's village and he's recounting again over and over in his mind, look what I'm doing. It's so different than I would have ever, ever dreamt. Here I'm heading to her village and instead of cutting bait, I'm now going to take her home and the child in her womb was conceived of the Holy Spirit and I'm, I'm supposed to call him Jesus because he will be the Christ. He's the Messiah. He is the Christ, the anointed one. He is the Christ. He's the chosen one of God. Can you imagine? And then he thinks again where the angel told him, Joseph, that boy is going to save his people from their sins. How many will read the Christmas story this Christmas and they will miss that phrase? There was divine intentionality in why Jesus came. Why? To save people from their sin. Isn't that fascinating? You see, at the original announcement of Jesus coming into the world, Easter is already beginning to loom over the story that Jesus would come into this world and he would come with a purpose and with a mission and that is, is to save me and to save you from our sin. What a present. What a gift. But you know, as I was thinking about this story and I was pondering it again, I've pondered this story countless times. And this story is no pun intended, inconceivable. Isn't it? It's inconceivable. Inconceivable means you'd have never thought of it. And when you hear of it, you still can't think of it. It's inconceivable. And that's how this story is. And oftentimes, when I read the Newer Testament, I feel like giving God editorial comment. I would love to do that. God, this is the first story about Jesus. Lighten up. Look, God, this is like going on a first date with a girl that has captured your attention. 
and you bring out the most inconceivable news right out of the gate. Don't do that. Take her to a nice place. Get her some nice food. Do that five or six times and then tell her the inconceivable. No, that's not how the story of Christmas is. The story of Christmas, the story of Jesus, begins with the inconceivable. Do you know why? It's inconceivable. You wouldn't come up with it. And so I want to say to God, God, look, I get what you're trying to do, but why do you have to start this way? Kind of come in a little low-key. You know, kind of come in off the radar. Kind of drift into it. Don't just blah. I don't know if you know it, but Matthew's account is that. It's bold. It's incredible. It's in your face. There's no ramp up. It's fever pitch from the very beginning. It's how the story starts. Listen. How the story starts matters. And it starts at a fever pitch. But how you and I respond to the story matters too. God's not trying to sugarcoat it. He puts it right there. That God's Son is now born into the world. And the prophet Isaiah has now been fulfilled that the virgin will give birth to a child. And it will be said of him that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Can you imagine Joseph? Can you imagine Joseph thinking that through? Oh my goodness, I was going to cut her loose. I was going to kick her to the curb. How could I ever have been like that? It's because, Joseph, you're a good man. You're a logical man. But the Christmas story is illogical. It's inconceivable. It's about the power of God coming into the world. That's what it is. It's power. But not just this, it's the power of God coming as an infant, as a baby. God is now close, he's personal, he's with us. And Joseph is called to believe it, and he does. You see, if you're a good person, and you are a logical person, my prayer, whether you are a man or a woman, is that you would respond like Joseph. That you would understand what God is trying to say. Because in this story, the Bible tells us that Joseph wakes up and he does exactly what the angel said to him and he took Mary home as his wife. What a guy. Now I want to recap it by modernizing the story just a little bit. Picture with me. Picture this. You're there with your buddies, men, in Bodo's Bagels. And while you're sitting in Bodo's Bagels, you're sitting there with your friends, and they say, hey, aren't you dating that girl named Mary over in Waynesboro? Yeah, it's her. You know, isn't that funny? You know, Joseph, I don't know how to tell you this. Rumor is, what's on Facebook, what's been tweeted, Mary is pregnant. 
And you know what, Joseph? We know you're a good guy. You're an honest guy. You're a logical guy. Are you, uh, Joseph, are you, are you the, Joseph, really, you know Deuteronomy 22, right? Come on, man. Um, are you the guy? And Joseph says, no, I'm not the guy. You go, wow. And then the buddies chime in again, and they say, well, Joseph, wow. <laughs> You're going to cut her loose, right? One of his buddies said, I'd kill her. How about you, Joseph? Be a man. She shamed you publicly. Cut her loose. Get rid of her. And Joseph turns to his friends, and he says, you know, that's what I had thought I would do. But the other night I had a dream, and in the dream, God told me to keep her. And they go, you're crazy. So Joseph, what are you going to do? Oh, and by the way, Joseph, you'll never believe what she says. You believe this, Joseph? She says that she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, have you ever heard something so insane in your entire life? You know what he says? I believe it too. I believe that Mary has conceived of the Holy Spirit. And his friends say, Joseph, you've lost your mind. Whatever you do, Joseph, do not bring her here. Because if you bring her here, when that baby's born, he will be a constant reminder of your sin. You bring that boy here and you raise him in this village, he will be a constant reminder of Mary's sin. And Joseph says, well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go get her. I'm going to bring her here. And instead of that boy being a constant reminder of sin, that boy is going to free us from our sin. He's going to free up all humankind from sin. Anyone who comes to him Anyone who turns to him will be freed up from the thing that's crushing them and killing them. And I'm going to bring her home. You know what else he says? I'm going to marry her. Not only will I bring her home, I'm going to make her my wife. I'm going to take her. She will be mine. And his friends at Bodo's back up a little Wow, Joseph, you're a good man. You're a logical man. This doesn't seem like you. You know, the reality of it is, is that Christmas is a story that's deeply personal, but it's also the story of a lifetime. What do I mean by that? Joseph took her home, and he married her. That's the rest of his life. Joseph responded to the birth story of Christmas and he made it personal to himself. He listened to the story, he looked at the story and he said, I believe it. I trust in it. I believe this is the story of God and I'm going to become so invested in this that I'm going to take it home and I'm going to make that story my story and I'm going to live with it for the rest of my life. I'm going to marry her. 
going to marry her. You know what I believe? I believe Matthew knows that Joseph represents you and re represents me. Matthew knows this. Matthew knows that every one of us have to look at this story and discern for ourselves, am I going to believe? Am I going to trust? Am I going to take action on the Christmas story? Will I sit and sit there or will I rise up and walk into the story? And in walking into the story, I can't wait to get to Bodo's to sit down with my friends and tell them about the Christmas story, what it's done in my life. You see, Joseph stands in the story for me and he stands in for you. You know what? I believe it. I believe every single word of the story. I believe it all. And you know what? I was raised in a German home by a British mom. Our whole world was about being good and being logical. No surprises. None. If you're going to surprise us, warn us that you're going to surprise us. Christmas story doesn't do that. It comes right out of the gate with the power of God touching human life. And the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Would you stand with me? Joseph made the story personal and he made it the rest of his life. That's what the Christmas story calls me to and calls you to. We're going to take a moment to close our eyes just for a moment in God's presence. I have no idea where you're at with Jesus but my prayer has been all week long when I had the privilege of telling this story, a story that's been told billions of times, a story that's been listened to billions of times, that this morning, for many of us, we will take that step of faith that Joseph took. And instead of pushing the story away, we will reach out and we'll make it personal. We'll take a hold of it by faith will make it the rest of our lives. As people's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here this morning and you're looking at the Christmas story and maybe for the first time in your life you're saying, I'm ready. I am ready to believe. I'm ready to believe the story of Jesus. I'm ready to believe in what God is trying to say to me this morning through this scripture. That is you. I want you to raise a hand before God, saying, God, I'm going to be like Joseph. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. This Christmas is going to be personal. This Christmas, I'm going to take action on what I say I believe. This Christmas is going to be about a lifetime. 
I'm going to do what Joseph did. If you're here this morning and then that's you, I'm just going to ask that you would slip up your hand very quickly towards God. Just as an action statement about your commitment to Jesus. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for those of us that feel compelled by your Spirit to raise our hand. Lord, I pray a blessing over each one. For each one that raised a hand to say, Jesus, I believe. I believe in the story from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus, be personal to me. Jesus, I'm yours for a lifetime. Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, become real in me. And oh yeah, Jesus, would you please forgive me of my sin? Would the reason why you came into this world please be real to me? Forgive me. Cleanse me. And make me new. And I pray these things in Christ's name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to take a moment to worship. And as we worship together, please allow your heart to be open to God. Let the story and Joseph's perspective sink in. Let's worship.